Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. We have a program in my store called a customer loyalty system. The way it works is that each time a member of this elite group of specially recognized customers shops with us, they earn loyalty points on their purchases. These points are credited to their account automatically for redemption at a future date when they've accumulated the required number of points. It's tantamount to a discount. At the time that this particular point is achieved, the customer receives the specified credit when they check out. Their bill is reduced by the value of the points being redeemed, and in this way they are rewarded for their loyalty and shopping with us regularly. With so many stores around, many selling the same kinds of product, this is our way of saying we appreciate your loyalty to our customers. The program requires some maintenance on our part, and we must make sure that every time a customer shops with us, that their purchases are recorded accurately, so the computer will keep their credits carefully and reward them appropriately when the time comes and they have achieved those stated minimums. But we think it's worth it to keep our good customers and reward them appropriately. When thinking about this recently, I wondered if there was perhaps a spiritual equivalent, something that I could use to draw an analogy. I thought through the idea, and I guess I came up with the following. As believers, we are recipients of salvation, full and free. There's nothing to pay. Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. The obvious conclusion, of course, is that salvation did cost something. Nothing is free in it that way, is it? But there was a huge penalty that had to be paid. The Lord Jesus Christ offered himself up as our substitute. He died a vicarious death in our place. He paid that price on our behalf. That's grace. We are saved by grace. Nothing could we offer. It's a gift. Once we come to understand this and accept his death for our penalty and accept him as our personal savior, one would expect that such love would warrant would invoke, would expect complete loyalty. Notice I did not say would demand our loyalty. Understanding the grace that drew salvation's plan, the love that brought it down to man, there can be no such demands on us and our response. We should be loyal and committed entirely with no pressure on us to do so. It should come from grateful hearts from a people who are so thankful, so captivated by the love that drew the salvation's plan, and that in humbleness and gratefulness we serve the Master, no strings attached, motivated entirely by our love for the Lord of creation. Here's our first song call.
So in retrospect then, the company's loyalty plan that I mentioned attempts to keep customers loyal to us by offering incentives that make them choose to keep shopping with us to earn points and therefore be rewarded. As believers, we return to the source of that salvation without a need for reward, but out of grateful hearts for all that he has done for us. When we were underserving, he willingly died for us, and so we follow him and love him and serve him without thinking about it or wondering what we will get out of it. It comes naturally when we realize that all he did for us when we were so unworthy. The songwriter said it well. You are beyond beautiful description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your ultimate wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you, I stand in awe of you, holy God to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. When I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you, when I found the joy of reaching your heart, when my will becomes enthralled in your love, when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you, I worship you. I worship you. The reason I live is to worship you. The reason I live is to worship you. Oh uh-huh. 
message for today. Here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning and a blessed good day to you. I trust that you have had a blessed Christmas season and pray that you will, in the words of the Apostle John, prosper in all respects and be in good health even as your soul prospers in 2012. Now, I suggested to you in our last message that in light of the perceived significance of the year 212 by some, today, right now, is perhaps more important than the year 212 itself, simply because it allows us time to prepare for whatever events may occur during the year. I also made the prediction, based on scripture, that prophecy will undoubtedly be quite a popular subject this year, and warned that we need to heed Jesus' warning to beware of false teaching and false teachers and emphasize that one of the best ways to prepare for what is to come whenever it does is to show that you receive accurate information from the word of God but most importantly of all that you certainly know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Now in light of this I direct your attention once more to what I believe will be a much referred to passage of the scriptures in 2012 and that's Matthew chapter 24 please listen then as I read the word of God Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him and he answered and said to them do you not see all these things truly I say to you not one stone here shall be left upon another which will not be torn down and as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. End of quote. 
Now many use this passage to teach that wars and rumors of wars are signs of the end of the end times. Jesus clearly says that this is not so. Notice what he says, and I quote, These things must happen, but that is not yet the end. Nothing could be clearer, but yet many teach otherwise. These things might be the beginning of the end times, but not the end of the end times. Jesus says that they are merely the beginning of birth pangs. This is vital to understand, my friends, because time and timing plays an important part in God's program for man. Now, quite a scope of world's history, past as well as present and future, are referred to in this passage. And it is important for us to distinguish which events fall into which period. And we may attempt to do this in the future message in the coming year, Lord willing. However, for now, just be aware of the fact that not all signs were meant to indicate the last of the last days. Some, as Jesus himself explains in the passage, were meant to show the nature of things because we live in a fallen world, in a fallen world, as well as to point to the beginning of the beginning of the end, not the end of the end. And so let us be careful that we don't see the end when we are only at the beginning and of course vice versa. A lot of unnecessary hysteria and sensationalism will be avoided if we observe these biblical principles of interpretation. Let me give you one more example from the passage. Look for a moment at verses 12 and 13. Notice what it says. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow old. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. End of quote. Now I mentioned this last time, but I repeat it again because it's important. Because of a failure to place these scriptures in the right place historically and prophetically, some have concluded that a genuine Christian could lose his or her spiritual salvation if they don't hold out to the end of their natural life, meaning that they must not sin or backslide once they have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Several factors, however, go against this interpretation. First, Time-wise, the stated conditions have to do with the tribulation period that comes after the church is raptured from the earth. This is probably one of the major misuse of this passage, placing the events described in the wrong time or historical sequence. And so all the signs described here are seen by some as having to occur during this age, which we call the age of the church or the age of grace. And therefore, before the event, we sing about every Lord's Day on this program, the rapture of the church. But careful study of the context shows that this is not the case. Notice two things in this connection. First, Jesus is expressly addressing the Jews who will be alive during this time. And thirdly, the salvation spoken of here is not spiritual salvation, but physical. That is, it is a saving of one's physical life from death. Jesus is simply teaching that the Jewish person at that time who endures the intense persecution that will be experienced will be saved to enter the millennial kingdom. My friends, as we shall see in some detail in later messages, this intense time of persecution is called the Great Tribulation. Now, the necessity to put these things in the proper historical context is also seen in verse 14. Listen as I read it. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. End of quote. 
ignoring the prophetic and historical context of the passage, many have erroneously concluded that the gospel of Christ or the gospel of grace has to be preached to the ends of the earth before the rapture can occur. But again, my friends, the context has to do with the future tribulation period, which occurs after the rapture, and the gospel to be preached is specifically stated as being the gospel of the kingdom, the same gospel both John and Jesus preached. It refers to the establishment of Christ's millennial kingdom on earth. It does not refer to the church. Now, of course, this in no way diminishes the church's responsibility to preach the gospel to every creature as given by Christ in what we call the Great Commission. That is still our divine mandate. However, it does underline one vital truth that we must grasp if we are to really come to grips with the urgency of the times. It is the fact that Christ could come for the church at any time. Theologians call this the eminency of Christ's return meaning that he could come right now. None of the signs mentioned in this passage, or for that matter, any other passage, has to be fulfilled before Christ returns for his church. Yes, to be sure, the church has to be completed, but only God knows when that will occur. And nowhere in Scripture does he tie that in with something the members of the church have to do before he comes to snatch her away in what we call the rapture. You see, this is another common error that is made by many today, confusing the rapture with the second coming of Christ. They are not one and the same. The second coming has to do with Christ coming back to earth to establish his earthly kingdom with the Jews, at which time he will sit on David's throne in an earthly Jerusalem. This is quite distinct from his coming to snatch away or rapture the church from the earth. He will not come to earth at this time, he will come in the air and call away or transport both living and dead believers to meet him in the air. This is not what the Bible refers to as his second coming or his coming again. We must distinguish the two or else we will become confused in our expectations. Beloved, just as God the master planner planned and executed the exact time for Christ to be born, to be crucified, to be, to be buried, raised and glorified without man's input. So he has planned the exact time for him to return, first in the air for his church, then to earth to set up his kingdom, all without man's input. And you can be sure, when he is ready to come, he will come, and he will not tarry in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he will come and take away all those who trust him as Savior. So I ask you today, my friends, are you ready for him to return today? It could happen now. It could happen any time during 2012. But we must remember, his coming for the church is imminent. Meaning, I say again, that it could happen at any time. Nothing has to be fulfilled. The important thing, however, is not when it will happen, but that it will happen. And it can happen now, today, right now. Prophetically, the year 2012 or any other year has nothing to do with the rapture, no matter what happens during that year. My friends, the good news is that you can prepare for the rapture right now, but only right now. You cannot say that tomorrow is okay. Not even this afternoon. Really, 
when we believe that Jesus can come back at any time that his coming is imminent then the only time that we can prepare for him is right now and we must do it hurriedly because he could come at any moment now will you bow your head and open your life to Jesus Christ simply acknowledge that you are a sinner that Christ died for you meaning that he took the penalty for your sin upon himself and was raised again for your justification simply place your faith in him his death and his resurrection and you will be ready for the rapture or as we say you will be rapture ready will you do it now? I trust that you will as always this is Pastor Lee saying Sila, think and act on these things it can happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye it can happen in a moment he can break the eastern sky though our hearts will feel unworthy when the Savior comes from heaven, when His blessed face we see. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Forevermore to stay Hold the fort a little longer In your struggle over sin Trust the great commander's promise He will surely come again happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again